So, uh, timing of God is, uh, sometimes you wonder about the timing of how things are going to play out. And it just happens that uh, this weekend I'm going to probably bring maybe the most controversial topic that I've ever preached in the 18, 19 years I've been here. And I don't do this lightly because uh, it's a topic that divides friends, families, and Christians. Um, and so I think it would be fitting and appropriate for us to begin with prayer as we enter into the topic uh, on sexuality and marriage. And I want to pray before we start. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that everything that I say would be loving, true, and accurate. I pray that everyone, whether they agree or not, will listen with an open heart and a spirit that is teachable, and that we will respond obediently to your holy, infallible word with love and respect, tolerance and civility and humility towards one another. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to review last week because I laid a foundation last week that I think is essential before we dive into the topic. Last week I talked about tolerance. And tolerance means that we listen and we hear the views of others thoughtfully and respectfully. We may or may not agree with them, but we can usually learn from them. So that's tolerance. We talked about civility. And civility means that we see the image of God in everyone, that we cult an attitude of humility and show dignity and respect for the other person. And we don't call them our enemies. And even if they were our enemies, I said last week, you still, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And I'm speaking to Christians today. I'm speaking to those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm sharing of how we are to respond to our culture. A rule of thumb, and I like this, a rule of thumb is to concentrate on our own sinfulness and on the other person's humanness. And I believe that what we need to do is give people the benefit of a doubt. So that's kind of where I want to begin. But what kind of church does hope aspire to be? Obviously, we want to serve our community. You've heard that. But there's a couple of other things that Hope Church desires to be and we aspire to be. We want to be a church, a truth church. Now, there's some strengths and weaknesses in being a truth church. Truth churches believe and teach the truth of the Bible. They believe there is good and evil. They believe there is right and wrong. They speak boldly against injustice, oppression, and evil. Truth churches, though, can become pharisaical, judgmental, and harsh, caring more about the truth than grace. They can be quick to cast judgment and condemn others. They can be like the Pharisees who surrounded the woman that day caught in adultery with stones readied in their hands. Truth churches love the truth, but they can also be quick to judge and slow to forgive. Truth churches are most concerned about being right. But I think we also want to be a grace church. There's strengths and weaknesses here, too. Grace churches are generally pleasant, warm, and welcoming. They don't ruffle any feathers, and they cut people a lot of slack. They're easygoing and make a few, few, if any, demands. They believe the truth of God's Word, but they default to grace over truth. Grace churches are tolerant, but they often are not often discerning about what's right or wrong. They care more about grace than truth. 
They can often act loving, but often act cowardly by overlooking scriptures, fearing the loss of relationships. Grace-oriented churches love forgiveness and freedom and often see moral standards as nothing but legalism. They're strong on grace, but weak on truth. Grace churches are most concerned with being loving. So we want to be a truth church, but we also want to be a grace church. So how are you going to respond to the message this weekend? How are you going to respond? Well, I can tell you how you're going to respond. Those of you who are more truth-driven will think that I'm soft on the Bible's clear teaching about sexuality and marriage. That I'm unwilling to take a stand for Jesus. Those of you who are more grace-driven will think I'm harsh, judgmental, and unloving to those who are struggling with these issues. Now, why is that? Because we as human beings have a hard time of holding these two, true, these two things in, in tension, grace and truth. It's easier to be grace than it is to be a grace person or a truth person, but to hold the two in tension is a very difficult thing. For example, if you're married and you have kids, uh, you, if you, 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 you have a, a husband and a wife, you basically uh, are raising your children, uh, one of you may be the grace parent and one of you may be the truth parent. And, and the truth parent is you need to clean your room now. You need to eat all your vegetables before you leave the table. If you're a grace parent, though, you, you may be different. You may, say, you may say, oh, you can do that later. You can wait till tomorrow to do your homework. Or you may say, if you promise never to do it again, I won't punish you. Even though they've done it for the last five or six or seven or eight or nine times. We aspire to be a truth, uh, to, to be a church where both truth and grace are held in tension. That we're not either truth or grace, but we hold those in tension. That's not easy to do, and we don't always do it right. And we're human, and we're sinners, and we're going to make mistakes. Hopefully, we'll be humble enough to acknowledge those when we do it. But when we look at Jesus, Jesus was all grace. He welcomed sinners, tax collectors. He ate with them. And this caused the Pharisees, the truth branch, to reject him. He had compassion on the crowds when they were hungry and far from home. He welcomed the little children to come and sit on his lap. He healed the lepers, the lame, and the blind. He was a grace. He was all grace. But Jesus was also all truth. He condemned many of the religious leaders of his day for being liars and hypocrites. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He called all those who would be his disciples to take up their cross daily and to follow him. He, he claimed to be the only way to the Father. He called his followers not only to obey the law, but to the heart and intent of the law. Jesus thought that a person could commit adultery even in their heart. So he was all grace, but he was also all truth. Here's how John describes Jesus in his gospel in John chapter 1 and verse 14. It's very interesting the phrase he uses. He says this, The Word, and he was speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as 
the only Son from the Father, notice the last phrase, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus was full of grace and truth. He held those in tension. Jesus was not just truth or grace. He was grace and truth at the same time. See, it's not either or, it's both and. He was both and at the same time. Now, for us as human beings, that's a paradox. It's not a contradiction, it's a paradox. It means, a paradox just simply means that there's something that is, we, we see it, but we don't really, can't make sense of it. It's hard for us to completely comprehend it. You see, Jesus didn't switch off truth to turn on grace, nor did he switch off grace to turn on truth. He demonstrated both at the same time. That's what he did. So, as I've laid the foundation for tolerance, civility, humility, as I've talked about our desire to be truth and grace and balance, uh, let me share with you uh, our view. How are we to respond to a changing sexual and marriage, changing sexual and marriage views of our culture? How are we as a church to respond? This is what our church holds to. Because same-sex marriage is becoming uh, the norm in our society. Uh, on June 26, 2015, the United States Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four that same-sex couples have the right to get married anywhere in the United States. Iowa was, was way ahead of that. They allowed it way before this. But the Supreme Court on June 26, 2015, uh, uh, provided that for same-sex couples. In 2016, a majority of Americans, 55%, support same-sex marriage compared to 37% who oppose it. So this is a, a changing trend, a changing, a changing uh, moray in our society. Our society is changing. There's a growing difference for the approval of same-sex marriage by generation. The silent generation or the great generation from 1948 to 1928, or 1928 to 1945, 38% uh, hold that that's a good thing or, you know, that it's acceptable. Baby boomers, 46%. Gen X's, 56%. Millennials, 71%. So there's a changing trend generationally going on in our culture. The American public, in fact, estimates that, the, uh, estimates that on average 25% of Americans are gay or lesbian. In fact, the, the actual percentage is somewhere around 4 to 5%. So what is the position of Hope Church on sexuality and marriage? We have uh, put together, and there's a reason why we're doing this. Uh, this isn't something that we just said, hey, this would be a good thing to to just be controversial, because if you know me, that's I really don't care to be controversial. But we have been, uh, so we have a position paper on marriage and sexuality, and if you'd like to take one with you, we have it at the Connection Center, and you're welcome to take one with you. I'm going to read you a portion of that paper in a minute. But um, you may not agree with it, but we felt compelled to record our position in this manner with some practical implications for our staff. Now, why? Why now? What's, why, why, why do this now? The answer is because we are, uh, have been counseled, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. We've been counseled by the Free Church. We've been counseled by other churches uh, and other experts that basically say you really need to publicly go on record 
uh, and record and have a, for your record your biblical, theological, and practical position on sexuality and marriage because of the changing culture and because, uh, you see, here's the thing. We live in our society and it's becoming more and more litigious. Churches are required to formalize their position in this area. And that's why we're doing it. Because we, we have to have a position. Because our society is forcing us to have a position. Because it has implications for what marriages will we uh, officiate down the road. What is the position of our church? Do you hold that position? So we have to do this. Um, so we're, we're at a place where we feel like we need to do this and now is the time to do it. Well, what is our position? Uh, and this is off the sheet. And this is uh, basically a, just a quick summary. Um, let me read it to you. We believe that sexuality is God-given gift and blessing to be celebrated and enjoyed within the context of marriage. We believe that God established marriage as the uniting of one man and one woman in a permanent, exclusive, loving, covenantal union, reflecting God's covenant relationship with us as his people. We believe that God uh, intends sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman who are married to each other, and that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity to be engaged in outside of this marriage relationship. So this, this paper and, and the position that we're holding as a church has implications for same-sex marriage. It has implications for sex outside of marriage. It has implications for unmarried couples who are living together. It has implications for pre-marriage sex uh, and the kind of weddings that we will officiate here at Hope Church. It has implications for all of those. Now, God's Word condemns certain 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 sexual practices. And essentially, uh, most scholars would read the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and come to the same conclusion. And it's, we're not expressing here Matt's opinion. Uh, this is an opinion by many, many scholars. And I'm only speaking to you if you are connected to Hope Church. If, if you say, I'm just here to hear your opinion, uh, we're just sharing what we believe God's Word is teaching us and what, the direction that we're going and it has virtually no implication as far as whether you attend or not attend, whether you will be accepted or not. It has nothing to do with that. It is merely because we have to have this position uh, expressed. If you're a follower, though, of Jesus Christ, you're required to wrestle with the teachings of Scripture. Jesus calls us to obey his word. And one of the greatest passages, one of the clearest passages in the New Testament is found, and I think it's describing where sexual passions and practices go wrong, is, is probably found in the book of Romans. And we are people of the book, so I want to read that passage. It's uh, on page 857 of your chair Bible. I'm just going to read from chapter 1, verse 24 to 27. And just to show you, this is the biblical basis, uh, one of the biblical basis of why we hold the position we do. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. This is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex instead, indulge in sex with each other, 
And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And some of you, uh, again, some of you are maybe are responding and thinking, you know, amen. Some of you right now are responding saying, you know, that I'm really struggling here. This is making me angry. I'm very upset right now. And I understand that. This is grace and truth. This is, we're wrestling with Scripture here. So um, you may be here and you may say, well, you know, I know that's what Paul said, but Jesus never said that. Well, it's true that Jesus didn't speak specifically about this issue, but if you, if you, if you look back at the Old Testament, the Old Testament certainly condemned homosexuality. And if you look at what Jesus said about the Old Testament, he said, well, let me read you the last part of Matthew chapter 17. He says, I did not come, I have come, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings or the prophets. That means the totality of the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. I believe what Jesus is doing there is he's affirming the teaching of the Old Testament. He's not saying, well, you don't have to pay attention to that. It's no longer in effect. Just let it go. I think he's putting a stamp of approval on it. So I think he's reaffirming that. Secondly, let me say this. The Bible doesn't condemn sexual urges. It condemns acting out those urges. And that's a really important thing to understand. Um, 1 Thessalonians says this. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. So, so maybe you have urges. I mean, people, a lot of people have urges for a lot of different things. Heterosexuals can have urges to have sex outside of their marriage. See, Christian churches and pastors, though, have often been inconsistent in following the teachings of the Bible. For example, that we have, Christian churches have often been quick to condemn homosexuality while overlooking premarital sex or living together. They say, well, that's, you're just living together. Just, they're just kids. They're just adults. It's cheaper. Well, the Bible doesn't look at it that way. Truth churches have been quick to cherry-pick certain kinds of sins while overlooking others. Grace churches are willing to overlook homosexuality so they can still be seen as loving. In God's eyes, though, any sex out of marriage... Out, out, of, out of a covenantal marriage relationship between a man and a woman is sinful. That, that goes for premarital sex, homosexuality, heterosexuality, extramarital affairs, whatever it is. That's just the standard of God's Word. And you wouldn't say, well, wait, why, why, why is it that God is so picky? Why doesn't He just get over it? Why is it such a big deal? Uh, why has God restricted sexual activity? Is it post-sex? No, He's the one who invented it in the first place. God created sex, but he also restricts it. And he does it for two reasons, for his glory and for our good. I believe that God has restricted it for he's put a guardrail on society. I want to give you one example of why I think that God put, called, uh, described the family and described sexual intercourse the way he did. is because I think he's putting a guardrail on our society. According to the CDC... Sexually transmitted disease have been rising among gay and bisexual men with increases in syphilis being seen across the country. Now, notice this. 
gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men accounted for 83% of the primary and secondary syphilis cases. I believe God placed a guardrail there to protect us from those things. Now, how do we respond? How do we respond? How did Jesus respond to the woman caught in adultery? Well, Jesus did something very interesting there. He held grace and truth in tension. Jesus said in John chapter 8 to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. We, the grace people want to stop there. Neither do I. Go and live your lifestyle. It doesn't say she was innocent. <laughs> he probably wasn't innocent. He doesn't say, Go ahead and live. No, he says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Truth. Truth and tension held together. See, Jesus balanced the law and grace. Truth and grace. He didn't sweep her sin under the rug, but he also showed her grace. The woman needed both grace and truth. And we do too. By the way, before you get the idea that that I've got my act together... There is absolutely no way that I would want you to know what my sexual thoughts were, what, what I may have done, and show those on the screen, because you know what? I'm just a sinner. Absolutely a sinner. And except for the grace of God, who knows where I'd be. Here's the point, though. If we minimize grace, the world sees no hope for salvation. If we minimize truth, The world sees no need for salvation. The truth is that our our sin must be dealt with, and only Jesus could do that. He graced us when He came from heaven to earth to pay the price of our sin on the cross. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. You see, we're all sinners. It really doesn't matter what the sin is. I mean, somebody has said, and it's true, the ground is level beneath the cross. We're all sinners. I mean, we like to cherry-pick certain kind of sins. That's awful. That's the word. You know what? The bottom line is sin is sin. It's rebellion against God. The cross is God's ultimate example of grace and truth. You see, truth shows us that Jesus had to die. Grace shows us that Jesus chose to die. We must come to a place where we see the truth of our utter sinfulness before God. It is only then that we will ask Him for help and receive the grace that He offers. Grace and truth held in tension. Paul says in Romans, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, it's... I have no, I am in no place to judge anyone about their lifestyle. But I am telling you where we as a church, what our belief system is. And everyone in this room, probably including me, falls short at times. Point is, we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. But that doesn't negate what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, don't be drunk. And yet, many times Christians say, oh, it's nothing. Well, it is something. The Bible says, 
don't sleep with somebody who's not your wife or husband in a marriage relationship. Well, we're living together. Well, we're all sinners. But we can't say, well, I'm going to be grace, we're going to be a grace church or a truth church. We want to hold those attention. We are not always going to get it right. We don't have all the answers. I've just kind of shared the position of our church. And you may agree with it. You may disagree with it. It doesn't mean that you can't be attend here or come here or you won't be loved or welcomed here. But uh, that's our position. So I hope you prayerfully receive it. And I hope that you, even whether you agree with it or not, that you'll say, okay, at least I understand. Because the whole point of the series is this. We need to be able to listen to each other. And we need to hear each other. And that's what I'm not hearing. And that's not what, I, what I'm not seeing in our culture. Seeing us launching bombs at one another. That's not the path we need to take. We need to sit down face to face, talk, listen. That's what we need to do. That's what brings glory to God. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that tells us that your word is truth. Thy word is truth. That's what your word says. But your word is filled with grace. And Father, some of us are truth people, and we just want to blast people with the truth. We want to speak the truth, but not with love. Some of us are grace people, Father. We want to, we want to just love on people, but we never get around to the truth. But your word tells us, speak the truth in love. Your word tells us that Jesus had to die, but he chose to die. Thank you, Father, that everyone in this room is a sinner. But you're a Savior. And you know what to do with sinners who call upon you. So take our broken lives, Father. Begin to heal them as we turn our hearts to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.